Good morning and welcome to worship at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Connie. And I'm Danny. And we invite you to come and shelter with us in this season of gratitude and response to the great news that Christ has been raised. Let us worship God. Come on in. Our first lesson is from the book of Psalms, Psalm 121, one of my favorites in times of questionable certainty, in times of anxiety, in times of need. Psalm 121 is a passage that reassures us. Listen for the word of the Lord. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon at night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time on and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second lesson today, friends, is from the book of John. We are in the last chapter of John's gospel, John 21, 1 through 14. Listen again with fresh ears. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes for he was naked and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, 
Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And there were so many, and yet the net was not torn. Jesus said, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So there's an old Reader's Digest story that talks about a family who moves from Texas to Seattle. And it's around Christmas time, and these Texans are feeling out of place. And the mother tells this story about going to pick up her one-year-old from school. The teacher comes to her and says, guess what I just heard these three little boys talking about what they're going to do on their Christmas break. Well, one boy said, we're Catholic and we're going to Christmas Mass. Another little boy said, we're Jewish and we're going to have a Hanukkah celebration. And her little boy, the one from Texas, said, we're Texans and we're going to have a barbecue. Well, that's exactly what's going on today. Jesus is hosting a barbecue, a beach meal for these disciples. So let's back up a little bit and take a look at this story. Again, as I said before, we are in the last chapter of the Gospel of John. It is almost over. And John gives us another appearance story, another resurrection story about Christ appearing to the disciples. So it takes place at the Sea of Tiberias, which is also the Sea of Galilee. It is in northern Israel from the area that Jesus and some of these first disciples came from originally. And so they have seven of these disciples. You have Peter, you have Doubting Thomas, you have Nathaniel or Nathan, who we haven't heard from since Jesus called him. You have the, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, sons of thunder, sons of Zebedee, and two other unnamed disciples. So with Peter, that's seven altogether. And Simon being confused, still in a state of disarray, still not knowing how to process all he has seen, even though Christ has physically appeared to him and them at least two times already behind closed doors in the Doubting Thomas story. First behind the first set of closed doors, then the next week he came back again and said, because Thomas wasn't there, I'm here, Thomas. Touch me if you need to. This is the third time, but still unable to process exactly what is going on. So Peter says, I'm going fishing, as if to say, I'm not sure how to proceed. I'm not sure how to handle what's going on. I'm going back to both the place that I know and is familiar to me, my home, 
and to do what I have always known to do my daily life, to fish. And so these other six disciples say, well, we'll come with you. We have no better plans. We're not sure quite what to do either. So they're out in the boat and they're fishing at night and they catch the big goose egg, as Vicky said before, nothing. And just after daybreak, just after that night of struggle, that night of frustration, that night of seeking familiar places and actions, and yet receiving no reinforcement, no comfort, as they were lifelong fishermen and they have caught Zilcho. So just after daybreak, moving from darkness into light, as is a common thread in John's gospel, Jesus stood on the beach. There he was. But just like other accounts, the disciples on the road to Emmaus that Connie did such a great job with last week, they didn't know he was with them either. Jesus kind of calls out, hey, friends, have any fish? You don't have any, do you? It doesn't look like you do. I see your nets from here and there. Not a fish in the house. You have any? No. And he says, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Now, it seems kind of absurd. These are professional fishermen. They know their trade. The boat couldn't have been so big with the seven of them on it that there were fish on one side but not the other. We're probably talking at the most 10 to 15 feet wide, probably less than that. If there's fish over here, those same fish are going to be here. And if they're not fish on one side, there's not going to be fish on the other side. Now, if you are casting a spin cast or a fly rod, you can cast it 20 feet that way. And then you can turn and cast it 20 feet that way. That's a 40-foot difference. There's going to be more fish in some places and less fish in some places. But they're throwing a net off the side of the boat. It doesn't travel very far. So they would have been in their rights to say, thank you, strange man on the shore. We know our business. Leave us alone. It's been a hard night. But instead, possibly because they're still so beat down from the whole Holy Week, Passion Week, betrayal, arrest, crucifixion, empty tomb, resurrection, maybe, what? That they just say, okay. So they do. And so quickly, their nets were filled and so full, they were unable to pull them into the boat that they were so full. Now, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when he heard that it was the Lord, Peter responds, just like the resurrection story in John, it is the unnamed beloved disciple that runs after Mary Magdalene comes and tells him that the stone has been rolled away and he's not there. So they both run and just like this story, the beloved disciple responds first and then Peter catches on and then responds in a more grand and passionate and enthusiastic nature, which is Peter's nature. It is the Lord, says this disciple. And then Peter says, what? Almost like a scene from Forrest Gump, 
where he sees Lieutenant Dan on the dock and he steps off of his shrimping boat because he's so excited about seeing Lieutenant Dan. Peter jumps off the boat to swim to Jesus. Yes, a little weird interpretive scholarly controversy. Was Peter really naked while he was fishing? Well, maybe. Back in the day, there is precedent for naked fishing because they didn't have walk-in closets with an endless wardrobe where they could change out clothes two, three, four times a day. It made sense that they would take out their outer cloak, their robe, their tunic, so that when they encounter the fish for 10, 12, 14, 20 hours a day, they get that stuff all over them. It makes sense that they would take some of that off. Now, remember, this is net fishing. Had they been using a spin cast, let's just say if they, were, if they had hooks in their fishing process, I guarantee you the naked fishing would have changed rapidly. But they're fishing with nets. So whether Peter was naked or he had on simple biblical undies underneath his outer layer or not, the point is that he became so excited, he jumped off the boat and swam toward the Lord. And so finally, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging their net full of fish because they couldn't bring it in. It would pull them over. And about when they had come ashore, that's when they saw that Jesus had prepared a barbecue for them. Jesus had his grill open, his charcoal burning, his food already cooking. Now, if you remember, this is a charcoal fire. It mentions it specifically. There's one other time that the charcoal fire is found in the New Testament, and it was just a few weeks ago when Jesus, having been betrayed and arrested, and Peter denied him three times. When he was in the courtyard, Peter, of the high priest, he had denied Christ once. And the second time, he had gathered around a charcoal fire. And they said, aren't you the one that was with? No, I am not. And then the third time, still at that same charcoal fire. Wait, aren't you the I am not? And that's when the cock crowed, and that's when Peter recognized and remembered what Jesus had told him. So that was a fire of betrayal, a fire of failure. And here is the second, a charcoal fire of the resurrected Lord hosting them at this meal. Jesus says, bring some of those fish. So Peter went and pulled the net ashore. It says by himself, full of those large fish, 153 of them. Now, any large fish, any fisherman or woman will tell you that any fish is a large fish. Hey, buddy, are you getting minnows? Oh, no, that's a four-footer. But here... 153 of them filled their nets. Peter pulls it up by himself. Peter is muscular and strong to muscle these fish on shore. Jesus says, come and have some breakfast. I've got it all ready. 
Come and dine with me. Let me be your host. Then they were afraid. Nobody said, who are you? Because they knew. The unnamed disciple had already said, it is the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. Hmm. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Obvious connections to the Last Supper, communion, the Eucharist. And did the same with the fish. Who doesn't love grilled, fresh-caught fish? Come on. This was now the third time that the disciples appeared to him. Twice in the locked doors, behind closed doors. Another time, if you count the road to Emmaus. Another time, if you take Mary Magdalene, who Jesus appeared to as the gardener first. He appeared to her first. But for this crew, now the third time. So the first thing I want us to think about is that that fire of failure that Peter recognized when he betrayed Christ for the third time is still the mindset that Peter and the other disciples are in. Still in some state of confusion and grief and doubt and fear, even if they understand from the two times that Christ appeared, they may very well say, he is alive, look how I treated him. He has been raised. What did I do to him? I was a part of the crucifixion process. So it may not be that they don't understand that Christ has been raised. It may be that they feel so awful about the way that they had treated Christ. Peter denying him three times, the rest of the disciples turning and fleeing from him. That they are filled and covered with shame, embarrassment, guilt, so that they can't even face Christ. And this is what causes Peter in this failure environment to say, I'm going back to what I know. My home and my job, it's what I did beforehand, and it's where I'm going to seek comfort. Or I'm embarrassed and I have to get away from Jerusalem because that's where the risen Christ is, and he may be upset and angry with me for what I did to him. So when they're fishing, it's almost as if we, we could draw a COVID-19 parallel. Peter and his disciples are unsure about what's coming next. They have anxiety. They have fear. And so they self-isolate. Even though they were seven on the boat, my guess is everybody was in their own head and not communicating, just existing. They were in the literal dark all night. They failed and they failed and they failed at the one thing they knew they were always good at, being fisher people. And so finally, the dawn comes, the light breaks, and Christ is there. And through the miracle, through the fish, they hear Christ beckon to them, come on. And Peter goes, come on, I've got breakfast for you. He's inviting us, Christ is inviting us to be at his table again. So first they had to get over their own sense of failure. I want to share a story that was 
from Andy Andrews' book called Mastering the Seven Decisions That Determine Personal Success. It's about George Washington. I didn't know this, maybe you did. In 1754, as a young major in the Virginia militia, Washington was ordered to lead 350 raw recruits through the wilderness to a fort where the present-day city of Pittsburgh now stands. This fort was occupied by the French. Washington's militia camped at a spot some 40 miles from the French fort and put up their own makeshift fort and named it Fort Necessity, 40 miles away. When this militia sought to engage the army, they encountered 700, remember they were at 350, 700 French soldiers and their Native American allies. They were outnumbered more than two to one. Washington and his troops were driven back to Fort Necessity, a place they never thought they would be fighting. Unfortunately, the location of the fort made it impossible to defend because it was surrounded by hills that were perfect hiding places from which the French and Native American fighters could attack. To make it worse, many of Washington's men were intoxicated, and in the nine short hours, with 30 dead, 70 wounded, and many more deserting, the battle was over. Defeated, Washington gave up his sword and signed an article of surrender. George Washington, the future father of our country, lost his first battle, his first fort, and his first command all at one time. He limped back to Virginia to his beloved Mount Vernon and made no excuses. But he didn't give up. Instead, he learned from all of those that he had battled how to conduct warfare suited to the terrain. It made him a better soldier and leader. And the point is that these disciples were complete failures, and they knew it. They had failed in their calling to Christ. They had failed in turning away from him. And yet, they knew that through God's grace, his resurrection joy, that he had forgiven them. Christ had forgiven them and is welcoming them to new life. So much that we look at as failure teaches us how to succeed. Now, we don't strive to fail, but if we're never failing, it means we're also never risking. Playing it safe and being complacent is one of our biggest sins. As individuals, as congregations, as the larger body of Christ, as citizens in the world, we need to learn to risk even if it means we may fail. There's a story about a pastor who grew up with another, a friend of his, a young man who grew up in the circus and learned the art of trapeze. And this pastor asked his friend, how did you ever practice and get comfortable with that? And he said, because I knew that the net was there. And once I understood that I could trust the net, I knew and learned how to fall because I knew that net would catch me. And once I knew that net would catch me and I could trust it, then I was free to fly and try and fail and risk because I knew I would be caught. What these disciples learned today is that Jesus has caught them, that Jesus is their grace net. 
And it doesn't mean they're not going to fall, not going to fail. It doesn't mean when we follow Christ that we go to mountaintop to mountaintop and there's no despair, there's no tragedy, there's no darkness. Every mature Christian understands that following Christ doesn't mean nothing bad will happen. But we do know that God's grace is with us to hold us when we fall and especially when we fail. So we need to have the courage to risk knowing that we may and will fail and that will also help our spiritual journey, help our ability to fish for others. The second thing I want you to think about, of course, is it's always intriguing to, ca- to think about what casting on the other side of the boat means. It means things need to be done in a different way according to the way Christ tells us. So often we know the way to do it and we do it our way without prayerfully seeking God's plan and God's vision. The disciples knew what they were doing and yet Jesus told them their business, just change and do it the way I'm telling you. And they trusted him and they did and the world became new. I'd like to call your attention to a picture uh, that's on our bulletin cover. Gary, can you put that up real quick? Um, This is done by an artist, John Riley. Uh, He's an English artist, lived from 1929 to 1981. He died in 2010. This is called The Miraculous Draft of Fishes by John Riley. And when you look at it, you see that the disciples are on the left in their boat. You see Jesus over on the right with the shore superimposed behind him. And you see that they are connected by the very substance of the fish. Now, there's a lot of things to call your attention to, but the one thing I want to lift up right now is that if you look at Jesus, the bigger figure on the right, you see his arms down at his side. They're not up saying, hey, look at me, see my wounds, realize it's me. It's as if he is shooing the fish that all seem to be moving from Jesus to the disciples into their nets. He is almost like a shepherd moving the sheep toward the disciples. And so I think the challenge for us today is to realize that we have to have the courage it takes to open our nets to the fish that Christ is shooing our way. It takes courage to open our nets because you don't know what kind of fish you're going to get. They may look different. They may come from a different background. They may not be in the same place that you are in a variety of ways. Sometimes that can scare us because as people, that's a part of our nature. But Christ's design that I love in this picture, this painting, is that Christ is shooing them all towards us. The fish that we are called to receive, that we are to teach and then send back out. Once we are a family that they understand about the risen Christ, to go out and bring more fish into the nets. So today, friends, this passage is filled like the nets itself with beauty, with challenge. But I just want you to remember these two points especially. Don't be afraid to risk and fail 
The disciples did it, and Christ welcomed them back as Christ does to us every time. And also, don't be afraid to open your nets. Think about this individually first before we look at the church and our corporate structures. What can you do in your life that constitutes fishing for those in Christ's name from the other side of the boat? I challenge you to do that individually, and I challenge all of us to do it as a body of Christ. Friends, the great news about this meal is that Jesus is a griller, but he hosts us again, and he gives us the sustenance that we need to move from the darkness and into the light. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen.